0: We are going to head off to the Rivercree Resort Casino Hotline, and welcome uh, back to the show, a guy that has uh, carved out a niche for himself, very plugged in fellow, went to the NHL draft, uh, from Puckpedia, Hart Levine joins us on the Rivercree Resort Casino Hotline.
1: Hello, Hart. How are you? Doing great. How
0: you doing? Good. All right. Well, a blockbuster deal. Pittsburgh, Montreal, San Jose. Uh, some will tell you that uh, making three-way deals in the National Hockey League are very difficult to execute. I wonder if they've become actually easier as a result of the salary cap. Uh, maybe, first of all, educate our listeners sort of in the machinations that allowed this trade ultimately to come to fruition, Hart.
1: Yeah, well, actually, like, as opposed to some of the three way trades we've seen where there's actually pieces from, like, each team going to all the other two teams, this one was more straightforward. This was more simply like a trade from Montreal to Pittsburgh. Um, and that was the piece uh, where you saw Hoffman go, uh, Hoffman and, and like go for Petrie. Um, and then you saw um, Pittsburgh make the trade to San Jose. So this one was actually a little easier because you didn't have um, like three separate trades. There was, there was only two trades then you didn't have players being re- retained by two different teams. So this was actually a little easier for, for me to enter in the site and to kind of process what happened.
0: Did the San Jose starts get enough in your opinion?
1: Well, I guess you have to think about that through the lens of like, what were their objectives? So it, it clearly, it looks like their objective was to save as much cap space long-term as possible. Right. And so, they actually took on uh, over $2 million of cap, cap hit this year, but then they clear over $2 million the year after, and then they have $10 million of savings in years three and four. So if that was their objective, is to get $10 million off the books in years three and four, you know, that's probably not a bad return um, because we've seen how hard it is to trade players with a big cap hit. But, but I think to your, where the point of your question is, like, should that have been their objective? Like, if I'm sitting there, I'm trying to do a rebuild, does it matter that we clear $10 million of space in year three and four or should we get the best assets we can in return for the Norris Trophy-winning defenseman? And I would say... That that should have been the objective, and to do that, they needed to retain a lot more uh, salary on Carlson, and then they would have definitely, then they should have been able to get a much better return. So the way that they, you know, only retained the million and a half, should they have been able to get more than a first round pick back, uh, first and a second basically back, that's probably reasonable considering his age and, and the cap it. But I think the real question is. Like, should they, So they've been willing to retain a lot more and therefore increase the return. And then I think that's where I think the Fano is uh, definitely the loser in the deal.
0: Well, I mentioned on Oilers Now in December that it was my belief the Sharks were looking for three number ones, uh, and the most they'd retain is 18%. Ultimately, what percentage did they end up retaining?
1: Uh, they, they retained one and a half on 11 and a half, So at like 13%, just over 13%. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: what was, uh, what What did uh, Toronto end up giving up to dump Marlowe to
1: Carolina? Yeah. So they done, they traded a first and that was in the old system with the over 35 contracts that um, they, if they were bought out, it was the full cap. it. so they basically paid, A first-round pick and cleared six million of of cap space, Um, and Carolina bought him out for about six million bucks. So, yeah, a first-round pick uh, like was worth clearing six million dollars if you go back to that stage. So, I mean, I guess it's hard. It's kind of a little bit apples to oranges, like. They, they saved they cleared 10 million, but in in the case of Marvel, that was like a dead asset he was going to get bought out. In this case, he's a Norsewing right. defenseman. It, 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 like is there is risk down the road with this contract? of course is he worth 10 million maybe not but he's not worth zero he's worth something you
0: know yeah no and that's kind of how I saw it alright Pittsburgh Penguins is there concern you think from them that they're getting too old or you know the old Sam Pollockline line he who gets the best player wins a trade
1: I, I think it's fantastic trade because not only did they want to get better, but they were not cap-compliant before this trade. They needed to move out whether it was a dismiss or, or somebody. They, they could not... They were not ready to enter the season with the roster that they had. They needed to dump some cap space. And so not only did they get Eric Carlson, they saved uh, just over $3.1 million in cap in the deal. So, I mean, they accomplished two objectives and they really only gave up they gave up a first and a second, and they got um, a third back, I believe. Right? So, yes. So, uh, yeah, a third back. So you get a Norris Trophy defenseman, Norris winning defenseman. You clear your cap situation, so now you're cap compliant to start the year, and they can carry an extra uh, skater or two. It's not like they're going to only have a 20 man roster. Um, and you know, they you know, what's the difference between a second and a third round pick? Not that great. So it's really you know, a first to do all that. that I mean, that's a great trade. Are they gonna win the cup? Probably not. But they're certainly gonna be more competitive in the first, the next year or two. And by year three, if they're you know, the Crosby and one of the tang, either they're you know, decline or they're injured or they're just not nearly as you know, they're not competing. You know, Carlson's even a fraction of his current self. Could you not trade him at 50% for $5 million and get him off your books? You know, I would think probably. So I think it's – I don't see any downside from Pittsburgh. Yeah, they gave up a first-rounder, which, you know, they need those first-rounders eventually. But, they, you know, they got these guys to try and go for it. I mean, they're a playoff team for sure now.
0: Hart Levine, join us right now from Puckpedia. All right, well, part of the deal saw Jeff Petrie trade into Montreal. What percentage did the Penguins eat on Jeff Petrie's deal two years left?
1: Um, They ate 1.5625 on a 6.25, so 25%. Okay.
0: So, now we're in a situation that knocks down Petrie's price. Uh, Kent Hughes, the general manager of the Canadians, has yet to sort of welcome uh, Petrie back into the fold. Do you think he'll end up getting traded? And what kind of return could the Canadians get if they retained half on Petrie of what's left?
1: Yeah. I. From just hearing the reports, just like you, it sounds like he's not long for there. But even if he starts the season, I think he's a good trade ship And now he's at a four point six eight seven five cap hit. So, you know, that's like just petrie at two point three million dollars. If they retain half, that's that's pretty attractive. That's at least Um, on top. On top of that, he's he's already had a three million dollar signing bonus this year. So the real cash. Is even less, right? So yeah, I mean, I think that's uh that's a definitely he went from having negative trade value to now he's uh, you know if they're willing to retain half that's a positive asset that they that they acquired. It wasn't to me. It's not just like a dump. They can now turn that into more assets in the trade for sure.
0: Well, it's like when Ken Holland came aboard here at Edmonton and the orders orchestrated that trade, right? Milan Lucic for James Neal, and the deal had to occur after the payment was made uh, to Milan Lucic, and uh, that was. Uh,
1: and, uh, yeah, and there's another guy like that to keep an eye on Tyler Myers in Vancouver. He's got a September bonus, um, and after that, his contract is very affordable. So I don't, I would be shocked if Tyler Myers plays out the season in Vancouver.
0: He's another right. So what's uh, okay? What's his? Do you know what his price point's at right now? Uh,
1: Tyler Myers is at a, a six million dollar cap hit, but he's got a five million dollar signing bonus paid September first. So he's going to have one million dollar salary for the re- for the actual season. Hmm. So a team that has lots of cap space and doesn't want to necessarily pay much cash, is um, an option. Or you could you could easily get two teams in there for retin- retention if you're only you know you're chopping up fifty percent or twenty five percent of a million dollars. The, the asset cost for that is not that high. Again, assuming the teams care more about the cash than the, the cap hit. So. Like uh, Tyler Myers for yeah at a million-dollar contract, I would think. Again, is he going to have a huge trade value? No. Maybe he doesn't even have trade value, but he's definitely not negative trade value at a million yeah, he, bucks. He, if he, you look at it. Get him off your books,
0: yeah. Yeah, Anaheim, Arizona, somebody like that. Uh, yeah. Hurt Levine joining us right now from Puckpedia. What did you think of McLeod's decision to settle two years, 2.1, and could he have gotten more if he'd fought it out in arbitration?
1: Yeah, that's the tough thing As I mean, hindsight's so always 20, 20, like, could he get more? I, I don't know. Um, I think when we saw the Khrushchev deal, just the number, the thinking was, oh, he's got to be, you know, he had, uh, when you look at their scoring numbers, I mean, Khrushchev was .35 points per game, McLeod was .4. So should he get as much as Kurshev's 2.25? I, uh, my understanding though is when the actual arbitration ruling um, came out, and it's not just a number, but the arbitrator goes through the reasoning. It really focused a lot on the on Kershev's years of service, both seasons and games played. And if you compare McLeod to Kurshev in that way, Kurshev has played uh, one more year. About 50. Yeah, one more season and about 50 games more, right? Or 50, just over 50 games more, which is like a, a is a huge percentage of their their career. So, if you if the number of seasons in the games is an important factor, you know, almost as important as points. Now I could see from the agents and the NHLPA side being a little nervous that, okay, well maybe even though his points are more than than him, if if the games and if the Here's a service, and the games are a big factor. You know, maybe it's a much lower number. And then Trent Frederick, you know, comes in at 2.3, and he's got even more games played, um, a little less points. But you know, I, I could see the can. Not to say that he was going to get less than the 2.1, but I could see the the. I could see when you read the ruling and it's focusing on the service. There's a risk that he's at you know one eight one nine two, and certainly there's the upside that he's at like two two five two three, and I and I think that's the the decision point. Like, is it worth taking the risk to maybe get an extra couple hundred grand if the risk of losing a couple hundred grand? And then there's the other factor. Well, we don't necessarily think we're going to get more than this in arbitration. Why go through that process? And you know. Potentially cause the hard feelings. You know, why make the Oilers management fly all the way out to Toronto for for nothing, right? So, you know, there's a lot of factors in there. And I, I so when I hear that, uh, when I heard that the Kershaw ruling focused a lot on the service, I think this settlement is, you know, very reasonable. Makes a lot of sense.
0: Puckpedia's Hart Levine I mean, Hart. Uh, I got 3.9 times two on Bouchard. What do you think the chances are? That's ultimately what it is.
1: what the deal is going to be but if I was like telling you what I think the deal should be to me it's 3.8 or 3.75 because his scoring numbers are you know similar or you know more similar points per game as byron Miller but he only played 18 and a half minutes a game those guys play 22 minutes and um, you know defensemen when they are RFAs minutes are a really big factor not just points so if they scored about the same and he played less I know he played a little bit more games and that's why I think he's close there but you know I would think the fair number is, the the neutral number to me is like you know, 3 8, but you know, if it's 3 9 to get the deal done, obviously, what 100 grand doesn't necessarily matter. I think the key is how that fits into the Oilers cap situation, now.
0: Yeah. Uh, and one final one for you that I didn't tell you I was going to ask about when I sent you the text uh, the last couple of days. What do you think of Jeff Jackson coming aboard as the CEO of the Oilers hockey operations?
1: I think it's a really smart decision. I mean, I think between. You know, Nicholson sounded like he was ready to move into, you know, maybe not retirement, but not as active. And then you've got Holland with one year left on his deal. They certainly needed some new, some new executives and some new management in the organization. Um, you know, like obviously, you don't need to say that uh, the relationship with Conor McDavid is, is huge and critical, and that you know, even if all he does is get is get you know, increase the chances of Connor refletting that, you know, that's probably worth it. But even if you take that piece out of it, I mean, just looking at his resume, you know, um, Kent Hughes was hired as GM in Montreal and Jeff Jackson as a, you know, pretty decent book of business from the agency side but he also played in the nhl he also is a lawyer um so you know i mean at at least just on his resume alone he's worthy of being an nhl gm and and i i think there's an argument that his resume gets him, you know higher position than the gm and then you add in the familiarity with the team and what what that means for connor McDavid. david i think it makes a lot of sense and i think i've heard you point on your on your airways like they've They've done a good job at an agency of finding talent that to represent that are in the later rounds, and that's a, that's a pretty transferable skill set to being on the management side.
0: 100%. Uh, it also played a factor because uh, the players that were with Jeff Jackson have been redistributed primarily to Judd Moldaver uh, from uh, Wasserman. He had Austin Matthews. You know, as Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, and Dave Gagne, who amongst others has Jordan Cairo. Uh, so a big bump in those two guys' numbers went up. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, definitely. Judge, Moldaver took over uh, Connor and a couple other guys, uh, Logan Logan Brown, and then the rest basically went to um, um You know, and that's for now. I mean, certainly the when the news came out, the buzz throughout the agency world was like, <laughs> they're looking at the client list on Puckpedia and seeing who they know and start making calls, so... You know, we wouldn't be surprised if a couple of those guys get picked off, um, you know, at some point in the, in the coming years. But, you know, I, I think that it sounds like Wasserman does kind of come out of the team approach, especially I know Dave Gagne and Jeff Jackson work closely together. So I would think a lot of those players kind of already felt like, um, Dave Gagne was part of their team. But I mean, we saw it with, um, you know, uh, other agents that went into management, you know, some of the players don't leave right away, but, they start to leave, you know, within one or two years when the person that recruited them at, you know, 14, 15, it's no longer there, so it's a, the story's not yet written on what will happen with those clients, but I think, you know, I think there's a really good chance that the majority stay with Wasserman.
0: Well, it's interesting with Dave Gagne because he was the development coach for the Vancouver Canucks, and then Jeff Jackson brought him in, first the Or Group, and then to Wasserman. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people think he's excellent at bringing along players. Just look at that 2016 second round. We mentioned Cairo, Dabrinkit, uh, Radish and Kachuk, all Wasserman clients, and uh, they've all panned out to become full time NHL players. And I think you know the percentages on that happening with second round picks. All right, uh, Hart, how do people follow you?
1: On Twitter, at Puckpedia, and go to the website, puckpedia.com.
0: Awesome stuff. Thank you for your time.
1: Thanks for you about
0: 150 in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout wrap up of this day in Oilers history. Bob Stopper, Brendan Escott, with you in Oilers now. As we head off to the state of history, brought to you all season long by New West Travel, serving travelers since 1979. You can book your vacation today at newwesttravel.com. They are going, is Oilers now, and New West Travel to Nashville, Smashville, October 17th. This trip is already 75% sold out and it's done a soft launch. We haven't even started advertising it uh, with commercials and that sort of thing. But uh, get after it. We're going to go back to the year 2013. What happened, Brendan Escott?
2: The Oilers signed uh, 2012's third-round pick, Jujar Kara, to a three-year entry-level deal worth $2.775 million. Surrey BC product ultimately spent six seasons with the Oilers, racked up 63 points, 185 penalty minutes across 250. 58 regular season games. Liked him a lot.
0: Just a little nervous for him with concussions. That's uh, ever since he. uh, Was it. uh, It was Richie, right? Brett Richie that. Dropped him the one time and then he, I think they're playing Montreal and he got ended up getting concussed. And then last year in Chicago, we had a bad one as well. But he's a really nice man, all right. Uh, that's uh, what's Reed Wilkins has inside sports night, Brendan Escott. What's he got,
2: Jacob? Yeah, you'll hear from Edmonton Elks defensive back Ed Ganey, Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback Zach Colaros I'll get you set up for this Thursday matchup in uh, week 10, I guess Ooh. we are with Ooh, the Edmonton Elks. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be tough for them, but Trey Ford is. Is the man at the helm now. I know a lot of people have been calling for that, so we'll see if the armchair experts knew what they were talking about. Also, Edmonton Stingers forward Brody Clark. Stingers knocking off Winnipeg over the uh, last week, I guess, advancing in the playoffs and then falling to Calgary. You'll get the wrap-up from one of their star players. Elks this week with Morley Scott as well. We
0: are jammed tomorrow. We're live at the Red Deer Golf and Country Club at the Battle of Alberta Golf Tournament. Angie Quinnell's going down to help us get that set up. Tomorrow's guests will include daily face-offs Frank Cervalli for the horses and horse race in Alberta. It's August, Canadian Derby time. Make your plans to be at Century Miles Saturday, August 26th. Awesome! on tomorrow's show, we will endeavor to get you Dylan Holloway as well as Stuart Skinner. We'll hear from Sheldon Kennedy and more coming up tomorrow from the Battle of Alberta Golf Tournament. And read your Special thanks today to Mark Jones, the CEO of the Central Alberta Child Advocacy Center, uh, former Reuters general manager. Coach, Captain Craig McTavish. I'll be looking forward to seeing him down in Red Deer. I don't know if he'd say the same about me and uh, Hart Levine. So long, everybody. Up next, the Global News Weather and Traffic Update with Randy Kilburn, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3. And then Chelsea Unchid from 3 to 6.
2: Back at you tomorrow from Red Deer.